Well, if you have a Bible, could you turn to Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians 6, and we'll just focus on verses 14 and um, 15 today. We spent our, our time in Ephesians 6 verses uh, 10 through 13 last Sunday, uh, spelling out the, the nature of the battle that we who are followers of Christ are in, the, uh, as well as the, the kind of enemy that we are up against, and the source of strength that we have for the fight, and the goal that we are have to have in mind. So this is what we saw. We saw that we are in a spiritual battle against Satan and all the forces of darkness, So therefore, we need to be strengthened by the supernatural power of the Lord so that we can stand firm in the evil day. Uh, We noted that it would seem as as Paul is bringing this letter to a a close that he is helping us to see that that everything that he's been calling us to, to be and to do is a part of this spiritual battle that we're engaged in. He wants us to realize that if if we're going to stand, that we must fight against Satan and the powers of darkness and do so in the strength of the Lord. If we're going to remember who we are in Christ, if we're going to walk in in the new unity and in the new way of of holiness that we're called to, then we're going to to have to to do it in the strength that, that God provides for us. If we're going to truly follow Jesus and live for him in this world, then we will be opposed by a real, real spiritual enemy, and so we need to be prepared to stand firm against him. And as Paul calls us to stand firm against Satan and darkness and to stand in the strength of the Lord, he begins to describe in detail the kind of armor that we have to wear in this battle. Have you ever been to a museum where they have suits of armor on display? It's usually a, a large hall, and they have all the different kinds of armor through the ages set up there. You can look and see how military protection has changed throughout the ages. You can even look and see what kind of weapons were used in different wars of times past. And if I'm totally honest, I don't spend much time there. (laughs) For whatever reason, it just doesn't interest me. I wonder if it's because I'm, I'm not fighting in a war. I've never fought in a war myself. Or, or maybe because if I were to fight in a war in this day and age, then that kind of armor wouldn't help me at all. But you can be sure that as much as I'm not interested in it, the soldiers of times past who were in those battles were very interested in the armor that was available to them. They wanted the best armor that they could find and they wanted to know exactly how to put it on and what kind of a protection it was going to provide for them because that armor wasn't something that was hung on a mannequin in a museum. This is armor that they were going to be wearing and they were going to be wearing it in the midst of a battle that was a matter of life and death. If we're aware of the fierceness of the battle that we're facing in the world and against Satan as Christians, if we understand the strength of our enemy, then we're going to pay close attention to the pieces of armor that we are called to put on. We're going to want to know what they are. We're going to want to know how they are going to protect us. We want to know how to clothe ourselves in them. And unlike ancient armor, the armor that Paul tells us to put on here hasn't changed through the ages. It's the same armor uh, throughout all the centuries because our enemy hasn't changed. 
The tactics of our enemy haven't changed, and the spiritual strength given by God also has not changed. It's all the same. And so in light of this, we take this ancient instruction from thousands of years ago in God's word, and we take it to heart. And it says to us, put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand firm. That's the simple big idea that we'll think about this Sunday and probably next as well as we walk through the different pieces of armor. It's this, put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand firm. You'll notice as we read the text that that's not something I came up with on my own. That's exactly what Paul tells us to do. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand firm. When you hear that instruction, uh, we, should, we should not make the mistake of disconnecting this put on command from all of the other put on commands in the book of Ephesians that we've noticed. In fact, as we've already said, it could be that this section as the final piece of exhortation in the book serves to pull together and to summarize all of the commands of the book. So as we think about what it means to put on truth or to put on righteousness or to put on gospel readiness, the answer to those questions could very well be found in what we've already read in the book of Ephesians. It's in, it's in putting off the old self and the works of the flesh and putting on the new self that we are also putting on the armor of God. So again, put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand firm. Let's go ahead and read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20 again. And as I said, we'll be in verses 14 through 15, meditating on the first three pieces of armor that we're invited to put on. But let's hear the whole passage beginning in verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Well, before we look at the armor of God, consider again this, this call to stand that's repeated in these verses probably four times, and that's there at the beginning of, of verse 14. Uh, in the text, the word stand and the command to, to the, the word stand at the end of verse 13 and the command to stand at the beginning of 14 are right next to each other. Uh, for that reason, this is how Bauer translates those verses, verses 13 and the beginning of 14. He says, for this reason, take up the panoply of God in order that you can hold your ground in the evil day. And when you have done all you can to stand, stand fast then. He says the idea conveys something like, you can do this. 
so do it. I like that. You can do this, so, so do it. It's, it's a rallying cry, as it were, before we, we are found in the heart of the battle or before we're tempted on the, the evil day when temptation and desire and opportunity converge on us. It's an encouragement to do what God has called and equipped us to do. It's a call to arms with the assumption that we're able to stand firm in this fight. Our enemy is powerful, he is evil, he is cunning, but by God's grace, we can stand. We must stand, so let's do it. Think of the Israelites standing on the edge of the Red Sea as the powerful and evil army of the Egyptians come barreling down on them. And what does God tell them to do in Exodus 14, 13 to 14? It says there, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Or we could remember when the Syrians surrounded Elisha to kill him. His servant was scared to death, assuming that Elisha was as good as dead. But he said to the young man in 2 Kings 6, 16 through 17, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them, which made no sense to this young man because there was no one else with them. But verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Ephesians 6 tells us in this call to stand, we are to be strong in the Lord and we are to put on the armor of the Lord. So the Lord is our strength. He gives us the, the power that we need. As Moses said, the Lord will fight for us. As Elisha saw, the Lord encamps around his people. And yet, and yet, we are all called to do something. We are to stand. And that command to stand is followed by the specific commands of putting on these pieces of the armor of God. In the moments of fear that we face or in the evil day, God, through his spirit and his word, says, you can do this, you can stand, and you can stand by putting on these pieces of armor. Sadly, I think the words of Hebrews 12, 4 are often true of us, where they say in our struggle against sin, we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding our blood. We seek to stand so often in our own strength or to wrestle our spiritual enemy with earthly weapons, with our own intellect, or with our own sense of resiliency, or with our own strategies, or else we just give up too easily and give in to sin and to temptation. But if we would strive to stand, if we would be willing to, as it were, shed blood in our fight against the world and the flesh and the devil, we might find that we can stand in the strength that God gives us. And he gives it to us through this armor. Paul drew this illustration probably from his exposure to the armor of the Roman soldiers. We remember that, that he's writing from a Roman prison and he's likely chained to a, a Roman guard. And that guard probably wasn't wearing the, the full set of armor that a soldier would, but certainly Paul was familiar with the armor of a, a Roman soldier. And yet 
even more important than Roman armor is the background of the Lord's armor in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 59. Trevor read so well for us from Isaiah 59, pointing out this armor that, that Jesus, the Messiah himself, has put on. And Isaiah 11, 1 through 5 is, also speaks of this. It's a familiar passage to us, especially around Christmas. So hear these words from Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So this is a messianic portion of Isaiah. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Taken together, Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 59 say something pretty powerful to us. So hear this. They say that the armor that we are going to put on is the armor that Jesus the Messiah put on to accomplish his work of salvation. The, the armor we're putting on has already been worn. It's been worn by Jesus. And now, having won the war against sin and death, he offers us his armor in our battles against Satan and the forces of darkness until the fullness of the salvation that he has purchased comes and the final defeat of any, every enemy of our God is accomplished at his return. All of this tells us something. This armor is effective. <laughs> this armor will do what it needs to do. It's, it's battle-tested, right? You don't want armor that, that has never been tested. You don't want a breastplate that no one has ever tried to see if it can actually withstand a blow that would come to it. And this armor is battle-tested. The armor has already served to aid in the complete defeat of Satan through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we can be sure that it's going to guard and it's going to protect us as well. So we finally arrived at the first piece of armor. And it's the belt of truth. The belt of truth. I, I'm not sure if this is surprising to you, uh, but I've not been in many fights <laughs> in my life. Uh, but from what I can tell from Hollywood, the first thing that you do when you're about to get in a fight is, is take your coat off. <laughs> or some guys just take their whole shirt off because you can't have any, any fabric encumbering you. You can't have any excess fabric that's gonna keep you from, from swinging hard. You need your full range of motion. I think that's the point here with the belt in, in both Old Testament armor and the armor of the Roman soldier. The belt was used to, to wrap up uh, excess loose clothing that was more common in, in those days. It's the idea behind those words of the Lord to Job. You remember those in Job 38 and 40 where, the, where God tells Job to gird up his loins like a man and get ready for battle. That's what, that's what God is telling Job, get ready Get all that excess fabric into your belt because war is coming. And the thing that prepares us for battle here is truth. We are to have truth wrapped closely around us. What does that mean? I think that the, the truth is both something that we hold to in our minds, in our hearts, but it's also something that, that we live out 
It's, it's objective truth that we hold in our minds and we, we hold in our hearts as we walk through life and as we face evil days, but it's also active truth that we live out on, in our daily life. Truth makes sense as a piece of armor if our enemy is Satan. Because what did we say about Satan last week? He's a liar. <laughs> He's a deceiver. From his very first appearance in the Garden of Eden, he has been questioning the truth of what God says. Therefore, the way to fight him is to have truth, is to have the, the truth of God's character and God's ways tightly wrapped around us so that we can spot all the lies that he throws at us to try and knock us down. Truth roots out deception. I'm sure you've heard this illustration before, the illustration of, about counterfeit money. Bank tellers like Emily or, or like Karen, they spot counterfeit money not because they're familiar with what fake money looks like, but because they're so familiar with the real thing. And so too, we fight lies, not by necessarily studying the lies, but more so by knowing the deep truths of God deep in our souls. We might see the power of, of knowing the truth by actually by looking back at all the truth that's been given to us in the book of Ephesians. We could just start at the very beginning in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. We won't get through all of that, but you might look at Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3, and just consider the truth that's here that would oppose the lies of Satan. Let me give you a, a lie of Satan and then the truth that's found here in Ephesians 1 that would oppose that. So Satan might tell us that we're spiritually bankrupt, that we're unable to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, but the truth is that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what's true. Satan may tell us that we're unloved by God, that he has no thoughts for us or, or plans for our lives, but what's the truth? The truth is that God freely chose us in him before the world was even made and purposed that our lives would be filled with holiness and and blamelessness, that's what's true. Satan might tell us that God doesn't want us around, but the truth is that we have been predestined to adoption as sons and daughters of God according to his divine will and for his eternal praise. Satan says that we are cursed along with all those that God hates, but the truth is that we are blessed in the beloved, Jesus. Satan says we're sold into sin and we can never be forgiven, but the truth is that we have been redeemed by Christ and forgiven of all of our trespasses. We could go on. That's, that's just a few verses of Ephesians chapter one, but that's what truth is. And the, 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 we're told this truth of what, of what God has done and of who God is. The lies that, that we believe are often about what we think of ourselves or what we're told by others that we begin to believe. Things like, I'm hopeless, I'm unlovable, I'm unforgivable, I've gone too far, I'm, I'm, I'm cursed. And then we begin to live as if those things are what's true about us. We neglect our walk with Christ because we've forgotten who we are in him. But if we could just pause and if we could hear the truth of what God says about who we are in Christ, then we would be able to stand firm against Satan the liar and expose the falsehoods that he's throwing at us. I think this often takes the form of what we've, we've seen Martin Lloyd-Jones call uh, talking to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves. 
If we just listen to ourselves, naturally we're probably going to be telling ourselves lies. But if we talk to ourselves, if we tell ourselves the truth, then it will transform us. We fight the lies of Satan and of the world when we speak the truth of God to our souls as it's revealed to us in his word. At the same time, not just speaking the truth, but we should be careful about, about what we allow to shape us, whether it's the, the, the lies that come to us through what we might watch on TV or what, might we, what we might look at on our phone or what we might listen to on social media, how much news we consume, the music we listen to, even the friends that we allow to speak into our lives. Are these things and are these people sources of, of truth? Or are we being deceived? Are, are we allowing small things to become big things in our minds such that we neglect gospel things? And are we taking in truth through the reading of Scripture, through listening to sermons, through hearing the truth spoken by our brothers and sisters in Christ, and so on? We need to hear the, the truth often, but we also need to be careful about what kind of lies we are allowing into our souls so truth is this objective truth, but it's also something that's lived out in our lives. I think we might think about this part of, uh, in our lives as, as sincerity of life or integrity in, in how we walk. It's the opposite of hypocrisy to live in truth. It's the opposite of play acting. Here's what I'm trying to get at. I think if Satan can convince us to live lives of seeking to hide the truth of, of who we are or how we might be struggling in life, then all of our efforts are invested in, in hiding all of the dark parts of our lives, of, of, of living a lie such that we're not walking as children of light and of truth. The powers of darkness convince us that the dark is where we should live that we should lie about our lives, that we should hide the sin that we are struggling with. And yet, and yet when we live in the truth, we live in the light. We're not seeking to hide who we are, including our failures and our weaknesses. Our, our lives are honest. We rest in not our own strength, we rest in the Lord's strength. So Satan is a liar. And how do we defeat him? We defeat him by seeing through his deceptions and resting in the truth of God's word and living lives of integrity and sincerity in this world. That's the belt of truth. Notice next we're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Excuse me. But the breastplate is a vital piece of armor in that the breastpiece is going to to cover all of the soldier's vital organs, when you think about it, including the heart. You can only have one piece of armor, I think I'd want the breast piece <laughs> to protect all of those vital organs. And so we find that, that this piece of armor is said to be made up of righteousness. As with truth, I think we can think of this in terms both of objective truth that we hold on to, but also something that we live out as followers of, of Christ. Let's think about it in those two terms. The, the objective truth about righteousness is one of the greatest things that we can hold on to in our fight to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because Satan is not only a liar, what else is he? He's an accuser. The accuser of the brethren, Revelation tells us. He will highlight our sins and he'll make it very clear that we are not righteous. 
But that truth is not something that we should deny. It's something we can own up to. Because as this armor is not our own, but the Lord's, so too our righteousness is not our own, but the Lord's. Our hope is in the fact that our righteousness is not in ourselves, but in Jesus, who was perfectly righteous and offers us the righteousness of his life as we confess our sins and trust in him. So then we agree with Martin Luther, that great fighter of the devil, when he wrote these words that you've heard often from this pulpit. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made a satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Luther doesn't fight back by saying, no, I am righteous. He says, you're right, I'm not righteous. That's not where my hope ever was. My hope is in the righteousness of Christ. Well, tomorrow's Reformation Day, so why not another quote from Luther about fighting Satan, okay? He says this, well, when Satan comes knocking upon the door of my heart and asks, who lives here? The dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he's moved out. Now I live here. The devil, seeing the nail prints in the hands and the pierced side, takes flight immediately. <laughs> we don't fight Satan with our righteousness. We fight Satan with the righteousness that Christ has given us through faith in him. We have nothing to fear if we are in Christ and Satan has nothing that he can hold against us because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And while we rest firmly on this objective righteousness of Jesus, there is also a righteousness of life that we are called to. I think we've seen a lot of this in, in the righteousness that Ephesians calls us to in the ways that we are supposed, we are called to walk, to walk in the light, to walk as, as children of light, to not walk in the darkness, to walk in wisdom. And so while we, we find that our assurance before the accusations of Satan is firmly rooted in the work of Christ and the righteousness of Christ, our perception of that assurance, how we feel about our place before the Father, can be influenced by the righteousness of our lives. Let me try to say what I mean by this. The righteousness that God gives us is, is a gift. But this kind of righteousness that God gives us changes us. And if we find that there's no change in us, there's no growth in righteousness in our lives, there's no fruit of Christ's righteousness in our lives, then what happens is we start to question our standing before God. If there's no change in my heart, has, has the righteousness of Christ really come in? Now let me be clear. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by, works, uh, not, not by works of the law. But, as we often say, the grace that saves is never alone. The righteousness that comes to us is never alone. And if our lives are showing forth the, the transformation that the gospel brings to the believer, then, then when the forces of darkness accuse our hearts, we can turn to the righteousness of Christ, but we can also turn to the fact that his righteousness is being worked out in our lives. When Satan accuses us of, of being unrighteous, of not being God's children, we can say, yes, but there's evidence of Christ's righteousness at work in me and, and through me. 
And when we, when we see the work of God in us, in the way that we walk, it gives us confidence to stand, knowing that we are children of God, knowing that we truly are being transformed into his image. I think that while they are big words, the best way to think about it, our assurance, is that it is both objective and it is subjective. Objectively, my assurance is rooted in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's where my final hope lies. But my subjective experience of it, what I feel like, is often rooted in the way that I live my life. And if I see no righteousness in me, then I struggle to trust that God really is working in me. And so that we put on righteousness, and as we put on righteousness, it helps us to stand before the accuser. Not only that, but the righteousness of the church of Jesus Christ as a whole shines as a light in this dark world. Remember, this is a corporate thing as well as an individual thing. All around us, we see unrighteousness and injustice, but the church, armed with the breastplate of righteousness, shows others what is right and what the coming kingdom looks like as we put off sin and as we put on Christ, as we put off hatred and we put on love, as we put off division and we put on unity, and in so doing, we push back the darkness, knowing that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. So notice then, third, after we've seen this breastplate of righteousness, let's think about the shoes of gospel readiness. That's the best way I can come up with to to put it in a few words. It's a, a little bit more clunky than the breastplate of righteousness when you look at this. It says in verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel, of peace. The right pair of shoes goes a long way in helping you to stand firm. Maybe you found yourself on a hiking trail or in some other situation where you just had the completely wrong pair of shoes. Or maybe you've worked a job where they required certain kinds of shoes, something like no sandals allowed, or even they said wear steel-toed boots. Of course, from my time in the Philippines, I know that the perfect pair of shoes for any job is a pair of flip-flops, because I saw construction workers wearing (laughs) flip-flops. But if you're going to stand firm, having the right pair of shoes helps. And the shoes that we're told to put on so that we can stand are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, this could actually be translated something like the firmness given by the gospel of peace. And in that way, it it would remind us that that we who know peace with God through the gospel are, are on firm footing. That's one way to think about it, but it could also be, as the Good News Bible renders it, readiness to announce the good news of peace. That the armor we put on, on, our, on our feet, the kind of shoes we wear, is a readiness to announce the good news of peace. In other words, this piece of armor is about gospel proclamation. It's about announcing the call to repent of sin and believe in Jesus for salvation, which would mean this. It would mean that one of the ways that we fight the powers of darkness is by shining the light of the gospel in the world, by standing like a city on a hill, by being salt and light. I think one good reason to think about it this way would be the words of Isaiah 52, 7. This is what Isaiah 52, 7 says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet, the feet of him who does what? Who brings good news, 
who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Feet that bring good news. The, the idea of gospel readiness is also something that Peter brings out in 1 Peter 3.15, and it's in the context of, of opposition, 1 Peter 3.14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect armor that is the readiness to proclaim the gospel. It's unique, isn't it? The tendency, I think, that we have when we're being attacked is, is to hide. If you're getting attacked, you seek to protect yourself. You get in the fetal position and block all the blows that would come at you. You, you hunker down and you try to survive. But what if a strategy in the spiritual battle that we fight is to walk around with a readiness to share the message of the peace of God that is offered in the gospel to anyone who will listen. Not to hide in the shadows, hoping that you won't be noticed, but rather to boldly proclaim the hope that we have. It makes sense because this battle isn't really about our survival, is it? Especially given that our eternal state is secure in Christ. That's not the, the point of this battle. The battle is about standing firm for the glory of God. And how is God glorified? God is glorified as others come to know the peace that is offered in the gospel. As others are freed from slavery to Satan, the liar and the accuser. As others are invited out of the darkness to walk in the light of Christ. So we fight Satan by, by doing one of the most loving things that we can do. By announcing the gospel of peace in a world that is at war. And we do this knowing that it, it's, it's only the gospel that can bring true unity in our world. It's only the gospel that can bring goodness and blessing into the world. It's only the gospel that can save our souls. Do our friends and our neighbors know that this is where our hope is found and where their hope can be found? Is there a readiness to share the hope of Jesus that we go throughout our days with? Well, we're in a fight, brothers and sisters. That's what Paul's telling us. And so he says, put on, put on the armor of God so that you can stand firm. Put on truth like a belt and righteousness like a breastplate and a readiness to share the gospel message of peace like shoes on your feet. Don't be knocked down by the enemy. He's a defeated foe anyways. And Jesus has given us his very armor the armor that he put on when he accomplished our salvation, he's given it to us so that we can stand firm in the evil day. And what does Paul tell us? He's telling us we can do it. We can stand. You can stand by God's grace and in his strength, we can stand firm. So stand firm in the strength that God provides. Let's take a moment of silence and we'll reflect on God's word. And then I will close this in prayer. God, we thank you for giving us this armor. Thank you that Jesus has come 
in the armor of, of righteousness, in the armor of, of truth, in the armor of readiness to share the good news of the gospel. He has shown us what this looks like to walk through the world in the hope of the gospel and in the strength that you provide. And now, Lord, you've, you've given us this armor that we can put on ourselves. Help us to do that. Help us to live in the truth. Guard us from the lies that Satan says to us and the lies that we so often say to our own hearts. Lord, fill us with righteousness. Remind us of the righteousness that Jesus has accomplished for us and help us to walk in ways of righteousness that fill us with the hope that you are truly at work in us. Ways of righteousness that bring light into this world. And Lord, give us a readiness to share the hope of the gospel. Help us not to be fearful in this world that wants to come up against this message of hope, but help us to see that this message of peace is, is the only hope for this world. We cannot cower and sit back and be afraid of this message. It is the message of salvation to everyone who believes. Well, thank you that you have made it clear that we're in a battle, but you've also made it clear that in Christ we can be victorious. Help us. Help us to stand firm. pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.